God, we take a moment to just kind of quiet our hearts and our lives. We pray that as we kind of embark on this part of the story that you would make it clear to us, that you would speak deeply into our lives. God, if we just want to feel good, we can go see a movie. If we just want to get away from our problems, we can go take a drug, go to the bar, drink through it. If all we really want to do is feel better about our lives, there's a lot of other options. And we know where they lead. They lead to maybe feeling good for temporarily and then in the end feeling even worse. So right here, right now, God, we don't want to just feel good. We don't want just a cold chill, a good idea. What we want is for the creator of the universe to speak truth into our lives, something that changes who we are, that brings us closer to who you want us to be, and that is people of peace in the midst of junk. God, right now, would you take a little bit from the oceans of thoughts and creativity and mind and plan that you have and drop it into our thimbles today? Would you give us just a little bit so that we can move closer to who you want us to be? We thank you for your son and for your story. It's in his name we pray. Amen. You ever had one of those moments in your life? Um, Maybe you've had a few of those moments in your life that you would consider, maybe in retrospect, but even at the time, as a crossroads. You know what I mean by a crossroads. You come to a crossroads, and you can go this way, and it leads to that direction. You can go this way, and it leads to that direction. You can go that way, and you can keep going, and you know where that'll lead. You come to those situations in your life, and most of us can look back, if you've lived long enough and you've made enough mistakes, you can look back and go, ah, that was a crossroads, and I took the wrong direction. (laughs) Or maybe that was a crossroads, and thank God I had people in my life that moved me in this direction. Maybe you're in that place, but there are some times in our lives where we hit these crossroads and we know it immediately. We don't even have to look back. We know this is a time in my life that I have to think squarely. If you're here today and you're in one of those times in your life, some of you are, I know it. Then here's what I, I recommend. I recommend that you dive deep into these stories. You listen to my sermons online, you read these books, you you go to the links that I've got out in different places and go dig into these stories because here's the thing about the Bible. Not only is it confusing at times, not only is it hard to understand at times, not only is it so big that we can't quite get it in our English language, but it is so simple in some ways that we miss it. And if you're not careful, you'll make it too complicated. If you're not careful, you'll miss the still small voice of God. And so part of what I want to do today, I want to tell you the story of chapter 10 of the story, which comes from uh, the book of 1 Samuel. And it's about a group of people um, who are looking for what's greener on the other side kind of a situation. But what I'd like for you to do is to boil this down today. And I'm going to do it at the end. I'm going to make this real simple. If you're visiting with us, I want to, I want to kind of tell you how I'm going through these sermon series. On the left-hand side here on my screen, you can see that's my sermon outline. Okay, that's the man behind the curtain here. That's where I'm going today. And you'll kind of see that arrow on the left move down as I preach, and that way you can look and go, all right, I don't have to make it through two more points. Okay? But I want you to see where we're going because part of, part of the story is I, I want to begin to say this is what God wants to say through this piece of Scripture. And if I'm not careful, I'll end up all over the place. So I, this is where I'm following today, and I'd like for you to kind of follow along with me. This story in chapter 10 starts with a group of people who are just flat whiny. You know, it's one of the rules in my house that, uh, that I try to uphold all the time is that you can be sad in my house. It's fine. You can cry in my house. 
In fact, one of the things I think is really unhealthy is to tell a kid, don't cry. You can really hurt a kid that way. So if you're here today, don't tell your kid not to cry. Now, one thing, I don't tell my kids not to cry. I don't tell them not to laugh. Why would I tell them not to laugh? I never tell my kids not to laugh. But I can tell you this. There is one rule about that in my life. No whining. You can be sad, but not dad. Oh, my gosh. I can't take it. It drives me nuts. And I think part of the reason is because I tend to do it, too. And I've asked my wife to kind of catch me on it. And I'll, she, we'll get the kids to bed, and we'll go to bed, and in the evening is my wine time. And I'll, I'll lay down in the bed, and Rich will go, so what's going on tomorrow? I'll go, ah. And she'll look at me like, are you kidding me? I have to uphold this rule with the kids, and then I have to come home and listen to you whine all day? But here's the thing. We, we just whine. We're whiners. People just begin to whine. And here's the thing we start to see. That the, those who choose not to whine, those who choose not to to talk like this when things go bad. Those who choose to look trials and tribulations in square in the face and move through them tend to be the ones that, one, are the heroes of the story, and two, get through the messes with the peace that comes from the creator of the universe. And so God develops this group of people. And the story up till now, if you haven't read any of this, um, you're okay because I'm going to tell you real quickly. Here's the story. God created a bunch of people and they were, they were broken. He created Adam and Eve and they were broken right off the bat. They broke. They, they, they fell apart. His plan was for everybody to live in perfect harmony with him, to be as holy as he is, and they broke the one rule that God had. And it got worse and worse and worse and worse until God said, i got to get rid of everybody. And this is the story of the universe. I've got to get rid of everybody. Everybody is so far from what I intended them to be that we have to start over. So God created a flood. And you may have heard this as Noah's Ark. And if you're not careful, you end up thinking of it like a Disney story and you've got Mickey Mouse sticking out the back of the ark. You know? This is the way we talk about it. But this is what we believe is truth in history, that God created a flood. And we don't know if it, create, if it flooded the whole world. It didn't have to flood the whole world to kill all the people because they didn't live all over the world. At that point in history, they were a small group of people who lived in a small area. God may have just flooded one big bowl of where there were people. But it killed all but a group of people and a man named Noah and his family. That's, it killed everybody else. Noah comes out of the ark after 40 days and 40 nights of rain and storm and craziness. He comes flying through, hits solid ground. He comes out and within a short amount of time, he's already messed up. And his family's already messed up. And the mess starts over again. But God made a promise. There was a rainbow. And you've heard the promise that he will never again destroy the, the earth by flood. And so he looks down at a group of people who are broken again. And in the midst of their brokenness, they end up in slavery. And he says, I want to choose a group of people, not because they're good, not because they're good looking, not because they're smart, not because they have any kind of a better standing with me. I want to choose a group of people who will represent me to the rest of the world. I want to choose a group of people who will end up in the newspaper, and when somebody says, how do you do it, they don't say, because we're really good people. They say, because the creator of the universe did something in me that changed who I am. That's what God created the Israelites for. He created a group of people, and they, they spoke a language, and they did these things that, that kept them close to God. But as time went on, they drifted from God. They got further and further from God. And it seemed that every time they were going to take one step towards what was good, they took two steps towards what was bad. You know that feeling? I know that feeling. Where you come in at church on a Sunday and the preacher says something and it twinges your heart a little bit and you go, man, I'm going to step up. I'm going to be a better dad. I'm not going to smoke that anymore. 
I'm not going to drink that anymore. I'm not going to look at that stuff anymore. I'm not going to see her anymore. I'm not going to talk like that anymore. I'm going to be a different person. And you get to Monday, and you are. And you go, this is who I'm supposed to be. And you go to bed with a peace that passes all understanding. And by Wednesday, you're three steps back from where you were on Sunday. This is the story of the people that God chose. This is the story. So if you're here and you go, man, I don't have any business being at church. These people are all good that sit around me. (laughs) And this preacher up there, yeah, he's weird, but he's got to be good, right? Because he's preaching. No. If you know what was in my life, you wouldn't want me up here. Thank goodness you don't. I'm working. I'm trying. But here's the thing. The story is made up of people who are messed up. And every time they take one step forward, they take two steps backwards. And God knows it. He knew it. He chose them that way. And if you're here today and you go, you know what, these are a whole group of people and I'm outside them, I want you to know if you're broken and you find yourself trying to take one step and then taking two steps back, God's choosing you too. And if you're sitting in the pew today and you go, not me, you don't understand, then it could be that it's exactly you. And the exact reason you're here today is to hear a word from God. This whiny nation, God raises up. And he begins to say to them, you're going to live differently than the rest of the world. You're going to live differently than the rest of the world. You're going to fight battles differently. You have to fight battles. You're going to have to protect your families. You're going to have to protect your freedom and what, what, what you have. You're going to fight battles and you're going to fight differently. You're going to worship differently. The whole world worships gods, whatever god they want to, and then they put them in their pocket and they live however they want. You guys aren't going to do that. You're going to worship differently. You're only going to worship me, the one and true God. That's the only person you're going to worship. And if I catch you worshiping somebody else, you're going, to be, you're going to be in big trouble and I may start destroying things because when you start worshiping things that aren't the true God, it leads you down a path that your kids will feel, that your grandkids will feel. It leads you down consequences that will be generation after generation after generation and I can't let that happen to innocent people that are way down the line. So if I find out you're worshiping somebody other than me, the ground will open up. And by the way, that's part of the Old Testament. The ground opens opens up in a few places. People fall in and God goes, uh-uh, not here. We see a mad God. We see a grace God. We see a vengeful God. We see a jealous God in this story. And we come to a point in the story that this is one of those that I can't explain to you completely. And I'll just be real honest with you about it. I don't really know, I don't really understand what happens here. But God keeps saying to this group of people, you can't have a king. I don't want you to have a king. Now, every other nation in the world has a king at this point in history. Every other nation. And the, the nations are actually known because of their kings. Because the king is usually good looking. You know, if we had a king, he'd probably be Brad Pitt. You know? I saw uh, uh, Silver Linings last night. Bradley Cooper, maybe, would be our king. Because it was often picked on about good looks and about wealth and just about how does this guy carry himself. Because when people look at your nation... The first thing they look at is your leader. It's true of America. It's true of every nation. The first thing they look at is the nation. So what happens if you don't have a leader? You know what happens at this point in history during the Israelites? People don't consider you a real nation. If you don't have a leader, if you don't have somebody set up, so they keep going to God's uh, leaders and saying, we want a king, let's raise up a king. And the leaders keep saying, no, God, doesn't. God says no. But I don't know what happened. The, the, the Israelites whine, and they whine, and they whine. And finally God says, and I don't know why God does this, but he says, okay, it's time for a king. And he gives them a king. 
A whiny nation wants a king, 1 Samuel 8, 19, but the people refused to listen to Samuel. Samuel is a man we're going to learn a lot about today. At this point in history, and, and I think this is still true in the story today, but at this point in the story, there, there was no Jesus, okay? Jesus doesn't come for many, many years. And one of the things that Jesus brings when he comes is a personal connection with the creator of the universe, a one-on-one connection. If you're here today and you go, the only place I can come to God is at church, I want you to know that Jesus changed that. That might have been true before Jesus, but Jesus changed that. You can go to God in your car. You can go to God when you're drunk. You can go to God any time you need to go to God because of the blood of Jesus Christ, the sacrifice once for all. You can do that. But at this point in history, they had rules about that. They couldn't. And so God put specific leaders on the earth. He raised up these specific leaders. That some were called prophets. Some were called judges. Um, some were kings that God put in positions to, to represent God to the people. And you could go to these people who were obviously from God. I can't imagine what that would feel like. As a preacher, I, I kind of get a little of that weight on Sunday mornings. Somebody will come to me, and I don't get this very often, but some people call me reverend, or they call me Brother John, or something, Pastor John. And there's this part of me that just goes, please don't do that. I don't like to be called that. I don't want to be thought of as anything different because there's a responsibility that comes with that. You know what I'm saying? And I know my life. You don't know my life. I know I don't deserve that responsibility. And every time God puts these people in the world, every time he puts them in the story very strategically, they are those kind of people that are broken, they're messed up, they're not perfect, but they have this thing that keeps them in touch with God. It's an amazing thing. And Samuel is that person. The people refused to listen to Samuel, who kept saying, God doesn't want you to have a king. He wants you to live with him being your king. No, they said, we want a king over us. We want a king. Almost jump up and down. Then we'll be like all other nations. See what I'm saying? They weren't thought of as a nation. With a king to lead us and to go out before us and to fight our battles. When Samuel heard all that the people said, he repeated it before the Lord. The Lord answered, listen to them and give them a king. Then Samuel said to the Israelites, everybody go to your room. (laughs) This is almost the way Samuel talks to these people at some points. All right, he gets them all together, and they're represented. Now, there's thousands and thousands and thousands of people in Israel at this point. So he's not talking to all of them at once. He's talking to key leaders in 12 tribes that make up. There are 12 groups of people. So they come together. Samuel talks to them, and at the end, he's like, all right, here's what God says. We're going to, he wants you to have a king. And it's almost like Samuel's going, you guys have been whining. I don't know why God did this. And I, got, I, don't, I wish I had a good spiritual reason. I don't know why God gave in. It feels like God gave in until you get going and then you realize God had this planned all along. It's awesome. But at first you're like, I, I, don't, I don't know why God would just kind of go, okay. And Samuel's kind of put out by it. Like, I've been telling you guys no, and now God says yes. And everybody starts going, see, I told you. And Samuel goes, go to your room. Everybody go to your room. I don't want to talk to you. I don't want to see you. I'm just talking on behalf of God. And that's what happens. Samuel is God's kind of guy. He just is. And as I read this story this week, I, I thought, you know, I, 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 I want to be God's kind of guy. You know? And, and there's, a, there's a thing that happens in your life as, as a Christian. If you're visiting with us and you're kind of kicking the tires on this thing, this is sort of the progression of what it means to be a Christian or what it should mean, I think. And that is that you, you first you come to Jesus and you go, I'm just messed up. I need heaven. I need hope. I, I need forgiveness. I'm broken. The preacher said and some Christian friends said that thing I I can be forgiven and that's what I want and that's kind of the start of it and then the next step is like you know what now that I'm forgiven I don't want to live like I used to live 
Because that stuff was gross, and I don't want to be that person. I don't like who it makes me be. I don't like who I... And so you begin to evolve. You begin to change. Romans says your spiritual act of worship is to become a new creature. It's to become somebody new. All the old is gone. All the new is there. You develop new habits. You get new things, and you start to think this is awesome. But what happens to a lot of Christians is they stop. They become content with just being a little better than they used to be. Just not quite making as bad of choices as they used to. But as we see the story progress, we see a level of peace that comes with continued growth. I'm saying this today to some of you who are looking at me and you're going, you're talking to me. Sometimes after a sermon, some people come up to me and go, you were talking right to me today. And I go, no, I wasn't. I wasn't. I promise it was God talking to you. If some of you come to me today, I'm going to go, yep, I was talking to you. Because I've been thinking about some of you. I'm telling, I'm just going to be real honest with you today. I'm thinking about some of you in this. I'm thinking about myself. Those of us who have been walking with Jesus a long time and look just like we did 10 years ago, spiritually. And physically, we're always going to look a little different, you know what I'm saying? But 10 years ago, I better look, 10, 10 years from now, I better look a little closer to Jesus than I look now. And here's the thing that happens. Every time we see somebody in the story who commits to not stopping, who commits to being better tomorrow than they were today, closer to Jesus, more useful to God, more uh, set apart from the world. Every time that happens in the story, we see a different understanding of peace in that person. My grandmother, 80-some years old now, once you get into her, where she is, I'm just like amazed constantly at her. She's one of the most energetic people. She got a heart um, uh, defibrillator, and a pacemaker at the same time. Two days later, she was mad because she couldn't go walking all over the place like she always does and babysitting all the kids. She babysits my kids once a week. She's on Florida right now with her girlfriends, partying it up. I'm telling you, she has an energy that just is amazing. And every time somebody in her life passes away, every time somebody is broken in her life, there is a tear, the tears that come from her that aren't the same as mine. There's a brokenness in her that isn't broken like mine. There is a peace in her that I haven't felt yet. Yeah, I'm going to heaven. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to do what God wants me to do. I'm trying to be a good father. I'm trying to be a better husband every day. I'm trying to be a preacher. I'm trying to lead you guys where we need to go. But I'm telling you, I'm still broken. And there are times where I still fall back. And I'm telling you, I take one step forward and two steps back. And I'm not growing the way I want to grow. Somewhere along the line, my grandmother hit a point where she said, I'm not going to be at 80 what I was at 70 spiritually. And I promise you, She's not. And every time something comes up in my life, you want to know who I go to? My grandmother has an eighth grade education. She is legally blind. Her glasses, I'm surprised she can hold her head up. Her glasses are so thick. (laughs) She can't, she's never had a driver's license in her life. She can't drive legally. She's blind. She can see enough to read a book. She reads it like this. She has an iPhone that I gave her, an old iPhone. She looks at it like this. And I got to tell you, this is the woman. I have really intelligent spiritual people in my life, incredibly intelligent people. I mean smart people, rich people all over my life. And when something goes really bad in my life, you know where I go? My grandmother's trailer. It's where I went when I was broken with a divorce. It's where my brother went when he was broken with his divorce. We both, we moved into her, to her house. And she doesn't say something. She's not a soothsayer. She's not a preacher. She's not, even, she's not even a teacher. You know what she is? She is different today than she was yesterday. And it's because of the blood of Jesus Christ and because of her passion to be a 
different kind of person. And I'm telling you today, there is nothing special about her. If there's anything special, it's that she can't see. Her heart doesn't work right. She's never driven in her life. She's more broken than you and I. And she has more peace than anybody I've ever known. I'm telling you today that the story is not just about dying and going to heaven. It's not. The story is about getting so close to God that even when life's brokenness comes, there is a peace that he promised passes all understanding. Some of you here don't have it. You haven't seen it. You don't know what it means. And I'm in that boat too at times. I find myself despairing all the time. And I've got to tell you that this man, Samuel, was different. It started with his mommy. Next slide. Samuel's mom is one of the heroes of the story, if you read this week. Her name is Hannah. And she is one of the people in the story who, who is most broken at first. She can't have a baby. And at this point in life, if you're a woman and you're her age and this point in history, people would make fun of you if you were barren, if you couldn't have a baby. She got made fun of. She got poked fun of a lot. And it was her, she just wanted to, to have a baby so bad. And she finally comes to God and she says this. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And she made a vow saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me, and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life. And no razor will ever be used on his head. Now, the reason she said no razor will be used on his head, by the way, if you're using a razor, there's nothing wrong with that. The reason she said that is because this was a part of Jewish culture at this point, a part of Hebrew culture. Um, and they were called Levites, and they believed that they, would, they wanted to do something outwardly to show God, we are 100% committed to you. And if you remember the story of Samson, that's where his strength came from. Um, he, was a, he was part of this culture that his hair was so long, that's where his strength came from. He didn't get it cut. He didn't ever shave. Um, pretty ugly, burly-looking guy by the time he gets pretty old. But that was her promise. She goes through life, and people still make fun of her. She's too old to have a baby. And finally, next slide. God hears her cry. Early the next morning, they arose and worshiped before the Lord and then went back to their home at Ramah. Elkanah, who is Hannah's husband, made love to his wife Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, saying, Because I asked the Lord for him. Next slide. So now, Hannah's, kept, Hannah's said, God, if you give me a son, I will give him back to you. Now, this isn't a baby dedication. You know, we do baby dedication around here. I don't know when our next one is, actually. Um, it is a really cool thing. It feels a little like the Lion King to me sometimes. I pick up a baby and hold him, you know, and we all go, yay! You know, remember that, song, that part in Lion King? And, but it's, it's just a, a really cool thing where we come and, and, and it's a baby dedication. But I've got to tell you, we call it a baby dedication, but it's a, it's a parent dedication, really. The parents are saying, God, we're dedicating ourselves to raising this kid for you. I don't want you to think of what Hannah did as a baby dedication. It's a wonderful thing what we do, but it's not the same thing. What Hannah did was promise that her son would live with God at the temple, that he would live with God at the church, that he would be away from her house, that if, she could, if he would do this for her, she would have a son, she would give him completely to God, and he would be God's. After he was weaned, she took the boy with her, young as he was, along with the three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, and a skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. When the bull had been sacrificed, they brought the boy to Eli. Eli was the priest. And she said to, them, to him, Pardon me, my Lord, 
As surely as you live, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. I prayed for this child, and the Lord has granted me what I asked of him. So now I give him to the Lord. For his whole life, he will be given over to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord there. This in itself is a beautiful story. Now, here's what happened with Hannah. She didn't do what we do at Baby Dedication. When we go, God, we give you this baby. We want you to have this baby. And then we put the baby in the little car seat and wrap him up, and we put him back in our car and take him home. This is not a baby dedication. This is Hannah saying, God, this is your child. Now, I don't know what that means as far as, I don't know how often Hannah ever saw Samuel. We don't really have that record. But I can tell you this, that when Hannah made a promise to God, she said, here's this promise. Now, I've got to tell you, you've got to be careful what you pray for. Did you read what happened to Hannah next? She had like a six-pack of kids. You've got to be careful what you pray for, all right? She ended up with a whole quiver full, as they would have said it that day. A whole bunch of kids. Not that she didn't ever miss Samuel. Samuel becomes, I love this, I love this in the story. Samuel becomes one of the most important people God ever used in his story. Next slide. Because Samuel ends up speaking on behalf of God to the people and anointing their first king. There was a Benjamite, a man of standing, whose name was Kish. He had a son named Saul, an impressive young man, looked like Brad Pitt, without equal among the Israelites, a head taller than any of the others. Samuel said to all the people, Do you see the man the Lord has chosen? There is no one like him among the people. Then the people shouted, Long live the king. There's this thing with with Samuel where he picks a man, and, and the, the, God does some incredible things. You've got to read this. If you don't have a book or if you haven't read this, please see me, and I'll, I'll kind of help you guide you where this is. Incredible story. What happens is Kish, who is, um, who is Saul's dad, the new king's dad, um, loses a whole herd of donkey. Did you see this in the, in the story? Loses a whole herd of donkey. And at this point, the, the herd wasn't set up the way we would. They didn't have nice big white fences painted really nicely or barbed wire. They, they basically just kind of tied them together and shepherds or somebody would kind of watch over them. Somehow these donkeys get away and his dad, Kish, sends Saul and one other person out to go find these donkeys. At the same time, God says to Samuel, some man is going to be coming who you're going to anoint as king. So at the same time, now remember, I want you to remember this, and if you're visiting with us, you haven't heard this maybe, but what we believe about God is that he can see the entire timeline of history at one time. He knows what's going on. So look at what God's doing. It's awesome. You can see how he's orchestrating this. At one point, God's kind of letting the donkeys go, and he's sending Saul out to get him. And at the same moment, he says to Samuel, there's a man coming, and you're going to anoint him as king. So they end up meeting together. And when they meet together, Samuel anoints Saul as king. And at first, things start out really good with Saul. Next slide. Things start out really good with the first king of Israel. And as you read the the whole thing, you're like, man, this guy's awesome. If you haven't read the whole story, you go, this is going to be a hero. This guy's going to save Israel. He's an amazing man. And the idea is God says this, as long as, and he says this through Samuel, as long as the Israelites keep worshiping one God, that's Yahweh, And they really know that the king of Israel is Yahweh, is the one true God. As long as they keep doing that, as long as they depend on me and not King Saul, as long as the king worships just me and realizes who he is, realizes I'm in charge, then I will continue to bless Israel. 
And things start off so good with Saul. If you, if you read this week, you know, you kind of like this guy. You know, he's, he's good looking. At first, when, when Samuel wants to take Saul and show him to all the people and say, this is your king, I don't know if you read this, but Saul ends up hiding in a bunch of boxes and a whole bunch of supplies. He doesn't even want to come out. He's just shy. And there's something you like about that. Like, he doesn't necessarily even want to be king. And so he finally, he comes out. And God says, he's over there. And he comes out, and the, the people go, long live the king. And Saul kind of is shy, and you kind of like that. And as the story goes, you see that, that what happens next is after the people go, he's our new king. Thousands of people go, he's our new king. If that was me, I'd be like, yeah, where's my palace? Somebody get me a limo, you know? I'm the king, you know? He didn't do that. And you like that about him. He goes, you know what, I'm going to go back and farm. And there, you just got to like this humble nature of this guy. And it starts one, two steps forward towards God. In fact, it even gets better than that. First Samuel eleven thirteen. 13. What happened was they got into this battle and, and Saul went to save some Israelites who were being oppressed by a, another nation. And, um, Paul, and Saul went to save them and he took a whole bunch of people with them. But there were a whole bunch of Israelites who said, this guy shouldn't be king, let's get him out of here, and let's not go save these guys. Saul went and did it, they came back, and a whole bunch of people said, let's find all the Israelites who didn't like Saul, and let's kill him. And you're like, "Uh uh-oh, here we go. Stupid people doing stupid things, taking a step backwards again. And Saul says this, look at this. But Saul said, no one will be put to death today. For this day, look what he says, the Lord has rescued Israel. He didn't say, I've done it. I saved everybody. He said, there will be nobody dying today. The Lord has rescued Israel. Come, let us go to Gilgal. And there, were, there we will renew the kingship. So all the people went to Gilgal and made Saul king in the presence of the Lord. There they sacrificed fellowship offerings before the Lord. And Saul and all the Israelites had a great celebration. This is a rededication, what we would call it. The people went back to God and they go, yes, God, this is our man. We want to give all of our praise to you and there was this wonderful if the story ended there it'd be so good but it doesn't because here's what here's what i've titled these stories i'll give you a quick break i'm almost done here you can see see that's why i give you that it's a lot to cover here's what i almost want to take a break here for a second because if you read the story i don't even know where it's called it's chapter 10 and it's called like the rise of a king or something like that it just didn't describe it to me so i renamed the chapter okay here's what i renamed it saul and how not to stink at life Okay, You know people that stink at life? People that every time they seem to get something good, they screw it up? You know people like that. Every time something bad happens, you, you, you kind of see them coming, and you're like, here we go again. It's always something with them. That's what we say about people who stink at life. It's always something with them, don't we? They don't know how to get through things. They don't know how, I say about people that I work with who won't return my phone calls and emails. They stink at life. You know, I just do, just do the normal things. And Saul is a guy who at first has given things over to God, but he begins to stink at life. He begins to mess up the, what's most important. He messes up some things. So I called it Sam's Guide for Not Stinking at Life. Do not be afraid, Samuel replied. He's talking to a whole group of Israelites. You have done all this evil. He's reminding them, you are messed up people. You are messed up. You should be afraid. You should be afraid of God because you have messed up over and over again. But don't be afraid. Not because of you, but because of God. Do not turn away from the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. Do not turn away after the useless idols. They can do you no good, nor can they rescue you. 
because they are useless. For sake, for the sake of his great name, the Lord will not reject his people. Love that. If you're here today, you're broken, you're far from God, you feel like there's no chance of you ever getting a relationship with the Creator, I want you to read this scripture. Take it home with you. Take this home with you. For the sake of his great name, the Lord will not reject you. The reason that Saul begins to stink at life is because when it all boils down, when it all boils down, he misses out on the two most important things of life. And here's where I'm going to boil this all down for you, this whole story. I want you to hear the story, and I want you to hear what I think is most important in this story and what God wants you to hear the most. It becomes real simple. Samuel, after Saul had just done one stupid king thing after another, after he started so humble and he started on the right foot and he started in the right direction, he begins to do some things that are all about him. Every decision he makes is what's best for him. Every time something's bad, what he really talks about and thinks about the most is how it affects him. Every battle he fights, every decision he makes is first and foremost about him. And i got to tell you this, if you've been asleep, wake up for a minute. If that's the way you make decisions, you're on your way to stinking at life the way Saul does. You're on your way to being a mess if every decision in your life and at every crossroads in your life, your first thought is, how can I make me better? You're messing up. Now, some of you today go, whoa, that's pretty profound because that's, that's the way I've heard. You take care of yourself first, right? You take care of me first. You know what happens? You become so self-consumed that not only do you alienate yourself from other people, you miss God's point. And you become something you were never intended to be. This is what happened to Saul. Samuel finally says to him, You have done a foolish thing, Samuel said. You have not kept the command of the Lord God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. Foreshadowing, here comes David. And appointed him a ruler for his people. Because you have not kept the commands of the Lord. Here's how it boils down. Next slide. When it all boils down in your life, it's about two things. Whatever crossroads you're coming to, some of you are pregnant. That's how obvious these crossroads are. Some of you in this place today are in a job situation. Some of you are trying to decide about a marriage. Some of you have kids that you're sending to college. Some of you have these huge crossroads in your life. This is the moment. Wake up and hear this this morning. This is the way you choose when you're trying to live God's way, everything boils down to two things, and it won't surprise you. The first one is loving God. And this may not sound profound today, but your first priority in your house, when things are crazy, when things are hard, when things are a mess, when there's a crossroads, even the good things ought to be first to be in this building and to be on your knees every day. I've got a friend, actually not a friend, a family member, family member going through in a, just a horrendous time right now. And we were working out together this week, and I just said, listen, he, he was telling me about all these awful things going on, and I've heard it from you too, some awful things going on in your life right now. And I said, listen, here's the thing. Your bills, 10 years from now, from today, somehow your mortgage will have been paid. Maybe it'll be foreclosed, I don't know. 10 years from now, you won't remember how your mortgage got paid. You won't remember how your electric bill got paid. You won't remember what you said to this person. You won't remember all these awful things, but you know what you will remember is that my son is watching you. My son just adores 
my brother right now. Just adores him. He wants to be him. I mean, he loves me, but he wants to be my brother. And I said, listen, your bills are so low priority in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, we got to get it taken care of, and yeah, you got to be, but don't let that affect who you are. Because there are so many things that God has for you. God, and God shows this to Saul. Saul, there are so many decisions you're going to make. There's so many things. But if you keep these two things first, everything comes after this. You get this? Wake up for a second. You've got to hear this. Whatever you got going on right now in your life comes after these two things. Somebody ran into Jesus at one point later in his ministry and said, what's it all about? What's it all boiled down to? What's the most important thing to God? And Jesus says, this is real easy. Everybody goes, Jesus is not going to answer that. Goes, No, Jesus says, no, this is real easy. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. You take care of God first. You take care of the other people in your life second. Everything comes after that. You understand that? I know it doesn't It doesn't sound profound, but most of us aren't living that way. And until we get it in our heads, that peace that passes all understanding that comes with living that way does not live in your home. Do you understand this? This is not, if you're feeling it today, you're you're a Christian person and you're going, I don't feel that peace. It's not a consequence of your sin. It's a consequence of you choosing not to do life the way God intended for life to be done. And when you say, God, all the rest of the stuff in my life, every bill, every job offer, every friendship, everything, every choice comes after those two things, something happens. Something that's not just a blessing of God on your life. It's something that started with the beginning of time. It is the story. Every little story going on right now boils down to loving God and loving people. And if you're here today, and you're in the middle of something, or you're raising a kid, and you go, i got to get this right. I've screwed everything else up. This can't screw up. This is where you start. You love God, then you love people. That's why a church full of people who can't afford to pay their bills buy food for the community. This is why a church full of people who are so broken that some of them can't get out of bed in the morning still show up here on a Wednesday and love a hundred kids. This is what the world looks at and goes, God must be there. This is your story. Next slide, band can come up. Doggone it, I went as long as I have every Sunday. I thought I was going to go shorter today. (laughs) Captive audience, you're stuck. We're almost done. Here it is. When it all boils down, that's what I've been saying all morning, and that when it all boils down, you know when it all boils down? at your funeral. I got an idea. Don't wait for it all to boil down, okay? I, one of the jobs I do um, with, uh, in, my, in my ministry is funerals, and I got to be honest, this sounds really funny, but I really enjoy doing funerals. My dad says I put the fun in funerals. <laughs> I, I love it. I, I really, now, if it's not a Christian person and it's a bad story, then, I, man, it's really one of the hardest things for me. If it's a Christian person, somebody I know and love, this is a great opportunity, and I really enjoy it. In fact, I used to say I like doing funerals more than weddings because funerals are more permanent. You know, I know the funeral is going to last. Not sure about the wedding always. But I got to tell you this. Every time I do a funeral, even for a Christian person or non-Christian person, everything boils down, doesn't it? We sit in a living room somewhere, and it all gets boiled down. I sat in Norman Barnes' living room, and you know what it boiled down to? This is what all the stories, this is what Norman Barnes' life boiled down to. I'll never forget this. It'll be all right. 
I'll take that. Yeah, what about you? What about you? Please don't wait till I sit in your living room. Please don't wait for that. Today, let's say today, it's all boiling down. Like it did for Saul. What would have happened if Saul, if he would have let it boil down and say, all right, God, I reprioritize. I messed up. I'm changing who I am today. Today, reprioritize your life. See, God's will is simple. This is where I'm going to end today. I get this a lot from people. What is God's will? I've got this opportunity. I've got this opportunity. What is God's will for my life? Sometimes I think they want me to say, oh, take that job. God's saying take that job, you know. It's not going to happen. You know what God's will is for your life? You love God. You love people. After that, there's a whole bunch of choices. The only things that are important, the most important things in your life. Here's what happens when you do that. It changes your priorities. When you put those two things first, it changes your priorities. You still screw up as a mom. You still screw up as a dad. You still screw up with your money. You still mess up. But it changes your peace. It changes your home. You know what happened to me and my wife? I've told you this so many times. Some of you haven't heard it. Now you need to hear it. We got so far behind in our bills. We got so messed up financially. We put, we put everything, we put God and, and people up there. We really did. And then money started going up to number one and pushing God down. And I'm like, but God, I got everything else down. You're second and third now, all right? God, isn't that great? And he goes, no, it doesn't work that way. So guess what I had? I had a lack of peace every time I saw a dollar bill. Every time a commercial came on that talked about money, I couldn't, I sweat because of money. So Risha and I said one day, what if we reprioritized again? What if we said, we're going to do what God said. We're going to give our 10%, whether we think we have it or not, to God first and see what happens. I got to tell you, there is a peace that passes all understanding. I'm still late on my bills sometimes. I am. Sometimes it still doesn't seem like things are going to match up at the end of the month. But I don't have that I'm going to die feeling every time I see a dollar bill. You see where I'm going here? I don't know what you've put above God. But whatever it is will cause you so much anxiety that you will lose what you've been promised as a follower of Jesus. So I'm asking you today, it's all boiling down. Reclaim it now. I think I've said enough. I'm going to shut up. I'm going right back there to that corner. I'm going to let you and God deal with this. If you need to pray with me, I'll be right back there. Would you stand with us and sing?